What's happening? Wong Notes Podcast, Episode 6, with Yvette Young. I'm stoked to have her on the episode today. Before we get started, I'm excited this week. I'm not going to lie. This past weekend, I released a plug-in with Neural DSP, the archetype Corey Wong. This is the answer to all of your clean tone questions. I got hip to Neural DSP because the archetype Abasi. This dude toes in Abasi, insane guitar player. Anyways, I've been using his plugin a lot for guitar tones when I record. And Neural DSP and I decided to collab for the last few months. We've been developing this plugin. Three different amps, three different cabs, bunch of pedals. It is so fun. I'm so excited. And I want to hear what you think about it. Okay? So go check out the plugin. There's a 14-day free trial. Go check out the plugin. Get some of those clean tones happening. Tag me on whatever social media you like to use. And let me see what you got. All right. Today's episode, we've got Yvette Young. Speaking of cool tones, she does this two-hand tapping, open tuning thing that we get right into because I had all kinds of questions. She's got an awesome approach to playing trio, covering harmony and melody all at once. Her trio, Covet, is an awesome band. They got some really interesting things happening. She's got an interesting and genuine approach to social media that I really like. We get into it. Let's hit it. All right. We're all in search of gear all the time because we're guitar players. We like gear. Okay. Musicians in general. They call it gas, gear acquisition syndrome, if you will. Now, let's say you're a little gassy. Okay. Sorry. That was bad. But I had to. I got, I got one product I want to suggest. A Stratocaster. Now, hey, 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 hey. Come on. That seems like the most basic suggestion. But I'll tell you what. Fender's making some dope instruments right now. I've been playing a Highway 1 Stratocaster for the last, I don't know how many years. But I did get this new American Ultra Series guitar. It's really awesome. I mean, it just is. I, and I wouldn't be telling you this unless I actually thought so. You probably seen me on their little ads. They're popping up in your algorithm, which I can make an educated guess on because you're listening to a guitar podcast. So there you go. And I'm not the kind of guy who normally uses a humbucker in the bridge, but this guitar, the humbucker is amazing. It's got this coil tap system where you coil tap it and it splits into a single coil, but it doesn't do that thing that a lot of other coil taps do where it just gets quieter and thinner because it's gone from a humbucker to a single coil. It's got something built into it where it compensates for that, which I love. The other pickups are the ultra noiseless pickups, which are great for session work because you're not getting all the buzz and noise in the background, and especially when you're just playing quiet. Or if I'm on stage and I don't turn my volume off, I don't get all the same amp buzz because of the lights around, whatever. Great pickups, classic Strat tone, bubbly warm top end. It's got the bite, it's got the power. That Strat is dope. Great guitar. Check them out. They got, if you play bass, hey, tell you what, you better believe I got that ultra J bass to get my Jocko Rocco on, dumping away these 16s. All right, you're here for the interview. Let's get to it. Yvette, thank you so much for joining us today. This is really fun to have you on the show. Likewise. I'm, uh, I'm excited to chat. I'm super excited because I have so many questions about your playing style. You have a very unique finger-picking, tapping, two-hand thing, but also with the open tunings. Every video that I saw you playing, you're not using a pick. It's all finger-picking, but it's also not just like 
straight up classical guitar style, it seems more pianistic in the way that you're playing reminiscent of some of the Stanley Jordan stuff, but also completely different because it's unique in its own way. Can you talk about how you kind of developed that playing style and what your approach is with that? Yeah. Um, I started on piano um, when I was four years old and I grew up just like pretty much exclusively classically trained. And then I took up violin when I was seven and I played an orchestra. So, and then guitar was something that I took up like way later in life. Like I'd say probably when I was in college. Cool. Um, I actually took up guitar because I was like sick um, in the hospital and I needed an outlet and it kind of, for me, was a way to just like have an outlet and and express myself when I was in the hospital. It was also a really cool way to like do something for myself and it was really empowering. So I think a lot of the reason I play the way I do on guitar is because I'm self-taught. Oh, sorry, that's rude. Um, I'm self-taught and I kind of took my knowledge of like polyphony and like the techniques that I use on piano and I tried to translate it to the fretboard I even kind of like view my fretboard as like the lower strings are kind of like my left hand accompaniment and then the upper strings are like what my like lead right hand melody would normally do so yeah I guess that's why I play the way I play and then I got like in college I got into listening to a bunch of midwest emo like math rocky bands uh, like Toe and American Football and TTNG. And that's kind of how I started playing with different tunings. And I realized that it's kind of awesome because with alternate tunings, you can, um, it kind of liberates you from just sticking to shapes that you're comfortable with. I find that if I switch up the tuning, I'm writing not from convenience and not from what's comfortable, but I'm actually like using my ear to find these melodies that I want. And then I'm adjusting as, as, uh, adjusting accordingly. So I'm like singing all my melodies and I'm like finding them instead of just knowing the exact shapes and like letting the shapes write my songs. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because the piano is such a linear instrument and the violin being tuned in fifths, the standard guitar tuning being in fourths. I could see at that point, if the guitar is your third instrument, the standard tuning is just a good starting place. And then You've got all this knowledge from a linear approach and then an approach in fifths. I think that's really interesting to be able to go to a third instrument and just explore. I don't think a lot of guitar players give themselves the license to do that sort of thing. I, I honestly, like, I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I think every time I write a song, it feels like I have this superpower that I just don't know how to control. Maybe one day I'll go to an X-Men, X-Men Academy, and I'll be able to, like, hone in my skill more <laughs> The more time I spend like writing and playing the instrument, the more I feel like I get closer. Like I'm at a point where I can sit down and I can like consistently write something um, every time, but it still feels kind of, I don't know, like nebulous and magical to me. And it, it definitely, I feel like ha the, the biggest thing that helped me for my classical training, I think is uh, ear training actually. Yeah. Um, being able to like hear something and just know how to play it immediately and f know the interval. It's not like I'm like consciously thinking in theory terms ever, but it's like in running in the background. Yeah. Always. So what are some of the main tunings that you use for your guitars? I used to use a lot more, but then I got annoyed changing all the time live. So I kind yeah. of whittled it down to the essentials. Uh, D A D F sharp A E. And then, uh, so like a D major nine chord. Or like a D yeah. add nine chord. Are you thinking of that while you're playing? No. 
Sometimes I'll like, I'll, I'll start from like a tuning that I know, like the first tuning I ever used was F-A-C-G-B-E. And I just copped that from this band called Toe. Um, Hold on. Say that again. F-A-C-G-B-E. Okay. So it's uh, an E minor in the top and an F major in the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a top as in like the notes top. I just need to say it to organize my own brain. Yeah. Um, And that's the tuning I just got from this band that I was listening to when I was trying to learn their music. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a minute. Like, I don't have to stick to any rules. Like I can just tune to whatever I need, you know? So I'll, I'll be in the process of writing. Like yesterday I was working on a solo and I used a tuning that I usually play in as a starting point, but then I was like singing it. I remember I was cooking and I was like humming into my phone what I wanted to write for the solo and like the harmonies that I heard. And then I went back and I had to adjust one of the strings and I lowered it by a a whole step because it was easier for me to do these like slide harmonies while playing this other melodic line. Like a lot of my stuff is contingent on like being able to play implied bass parts and like harmonies while I'm playing like a lead melody. So Sometimes adjusting a string by like, you know, a half step or a, a whole step can make a lot of those shapes more possible to do concurrently with like the other stuff yeah. that I have to do. <laughs> but then that tuning is just for that song and then you have to switch back and forth all the time. Yeah, but I have my, our, our, we, we just recorded a full length, which is going to come out and I only used like three tunings on that whole full length. Cool. That's an accomplishment for me. Yeah. <laughs> So you've explored a lot of open tunings. I've only really, outside of standard tuning, used Dadgad, Drop D, Open D, Open G, and they draw different things out of me. There's just different colors and different emotions. What are some of those tunings for you? So D, I, D, F sharp, I, E makes me write more uplifting things for some reason. And then um, when I switch to D, A, C sharp, F sharp, A, E, so I drop that D by a half step. I find that it colors everything in a really moody way. And yeah. so sometimes like if I'm stuck writing stuff that sounds too upbeat, like that one forces me out of my comfort zone and makes me like try out intervals that are a little moodier. Yeah. Sometimes a major seven can make things happy, but it also occasionally makes things a little more melancholy depending on what's colored around it. So I, I'd be curious to try that. Yeah, that one's a really fun one. I think both of the songs on that, but both of our like sadder, moodier, not sadder, it's like, I guess like heavier. We're not really heavy, but like heavier. <laughs> like I think songs. you're heavy. I listen to you guys' <laughs> stuff. It's rocking. Oh, it's 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 quarantine. I've been uh, sitting inside and eating a lot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right? Really bad joke. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I for some reason our heavier songs just utilize that tuning. Um, yeah. It's really great for like a lot of sometimes like if I want to fatten a note like DAD having that octave in there yeah. is great. Cause like if I, if I want to um, fret a note on the um, D string, I can also fret the same one on the other D string and it like just yeah. gives you an octave to work with, which is really fun. A lot of the way that you're talking right now is you're speaking in shapes. You're speaking in visual forms. Is there a parallel between visual art, like painting, drawing, sketching and music to you that you draw from? Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think I, I, when I play, I, I actually am, I'm, I don't really think about shapes all that much. Like for me, it's, I'm really just like listening to what the melody and like what I hear in my head and what I sing. 
a lot of times what I do ends up having just being a product of like me having to accomplish what I hear in my mind. And I think the visual aspect of music for me bleeds over in what I want to do with music dynamically and texturally. Like for me, okay, when I got into, I guess I'll start by saying uh, with every song I write, with, especially instrumental music, I think a fun thing I find an um, objective to have is to try to transport the listener somewhere, like try to tell a story, try to like paint a mood. Mm -hmm. And for me, like one of my favorite um, things people say after our set or something is they'll like, tell me what a song made them see or feel. And then I'm just like, that's crazy. Cause that's like what I wanted mm -hmm. to accomplish. And I, when, when I wrote it. So to me, that's like a sign of success for me when I'm able to like translate these abstract concepts and like feelings and visuals in my head and make someone else feel that. I think that's something really powerful music can do. And then, you know, effects and pedals are, are a place that really helped me. Um, there are tools that really help me with that. I always describe my songwriting process. Like I start out with a, a black and white drawing, a skeleton, mm -hmm. and then where I choose to put effects and pedals are the places that I want to color in in the drawing. So that's like an example of how I do think about music visually. Certain sections, I'm like, oh, like, you know, this riff kind of reminds me of like a field of kelp, like in the ocean. Sure. So then yeah. I'll, I'll use like a, I don't know, like a modulated delay or something to kind of give it that etherealness. Uh, and so I'll like choose to color in that section. So you can also leave sections black and white. And then the overall effect is that, you know, it tells it, it, you paint a picture using sound. Is Covet, is it all instrumental music? Uh, we, we were instrumental aside from a couple of and ahs. Yeah. But uh, this record, I decided to have vocals on two and a half songs. I say half songs because one of the songs is ooh and ah at the end. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we have full lyrics now. And I guess I decided to do that because when I wrote the songs, I immediately heard a vocal melody. And my rule with writing music is um, never rule anything out. Mm -hmm. uh, and I only do what serves the music. So I thought in that case, adding vocals would 100% serve the music and it actually needs it. Yeah. So I ended up writing lyrics and, you know, actually some of the lyrics I wrote in the studio kind of last minute lyrics are not my strong suit. I really admire lyricists. Like I think it's so scary when you have to use actual words. <laughs> like, yeah. I think instrumental music is fun because you can keep kind of abstract and open-ended, yeah. but all of a sudden when you have lyrics, it's like, ah, like vulnerable. Like here's yeah. my heart. <laughs> it sounds pretentious or it sounds stupid. I don't know. Like sure. it's just scary. <laughs> well, one thing that vocal music does, it seems to, have a more broad and general appeal. Mm -hmm. And listening to something like math rock or heavy instrumental music or jazz or even classical at this point in society, you know, there's so many genres that are a little more niche. And especially with being primarily instrumental, but now it's, you know, some vocal things. What is one way that you guys have tried to connect with just the general listener or the general audience? Or is it that you're just catering for the niche listener? I think for me, it's it's a bit weird because I never I never expected music to go anywhere for me. Like it kind of just always did it for fun. Like I took up guitar and wrote songs in the hospital because I was like not doing too great, you know. So it was an outlet for me. And part of what's kept music super sacred for me is is writing music that 
just, I mean, it sounds hedonistic and selfish, but I do write with just myself in mind. Like sure. I write like, something that I want to hear. And I think yeah. that keeps like the spark and the joy of music alive for me. And one way that I do think about it though is, is um, one of the things I love about pop music is that it's very catchy and yeah. that it gets stuck in people's heads. And my goal is like, when I write a riff, I, I would love it to get stuck in people's heads. I would love it to be really catchy. And that's where I think singing, singing stuff and then writing it comes in handy. Cause I find that when you sing something vocally, like you don't, it doesn't go through any filters. Like it's like the melody just, it's like your, your everyone's voice is their first instrument, you know? Yeah. So when you sing it, it's like the first thing you want to hear. And sometimes it's, it's the best melody there because it's like what came immediately and you're not overcomplicating it. And I also feel like when you're able to sing something, it's just in general catchier yeah. than, you know, you're walking around humming it. <laughs> so that's, that's one goal that I personally have. And then another thing I admire about some pop artists, like, um, well, some mainstream bands, uh, like I really like the Japanese house. Um, mm-hmm. And I really like uh, bands like Mew is that they're still like catchy and like mainstreamish, but they do throw in a couple of treats for musicians sometimes. And they do really weird, experimental, like risky things. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think is fascinating. It's like being able to have mass appeal, but also like sneak in some really unconventional things like Led Zeppelin did it too with like their song structures. Yeah. A lot of artists actually are successfully able to do that. I always joke with people. It's, it's kind of like tricking a kid into like having vegetables. Like you just kind of sneak <laughs> in a couple of like weird yeah. things and you don't even know you're listening to something in five or you're, you don't even know that you're listening to something that's like a compound meter of like, I don't know, seven and five or something like, yeah, like money by Pink Floyd. You, when you listen to it, you don't at first think, Oh cool. This is in seven, four. It's just a cool riff that happens to be in seven. 100%. Like my goal with, with covet is like, I don't even want people to think about it. Theoretically. I don't want people to sit and analyze it. I I just want them to like feel it and like be able to like groove to it still, even though they're grooving in 13 or something. Yeah. All right, folks, this is a fun conversation. We got to pause for a second. I told you about the Stratocaster at the beginning of this episode. Now I'm here to tell you about that American Ultra Telecaster. That thing is dope. All the bite, all the crunch, everything that you want from rock to country. I use a telly for that Prince rhythm sound. It's great. And the American Ultra right now is my axe of choice. Okay, let's get back to it. When you play with the band, it's a trio, right? There's just three mm-hmm. of you. Drums, mm-hmm. you on guitar, and bass. That means you've pretty much got to cover the melodic and harmonic content of the show when you guys are playing live. Of course, in the studio, I don't know if you guys do a lot of overdubs or that sort of thing. What's your approach to covering the harmonic and melodic role when you guys play live? It's funny because I always, I t- my bass player, David, I always tell him like, don't, I don't want you to be like a bass player. When you write your bass parts, I want you to think about it like you're another guitarist in this band. So I don't want your bass parts to like follow me. I want them to like interweave and we never step on each other. We sometimes intersect, but we're never like, yeah. sometimes we're parallel when we need it. Like strategically, sometimes it's cool to like be in unison. Yeah. yeah. But for the most part, I want him to kind of go off and do his own thing. Um, maybe like even syncopate in some areas. And he does a great job of that. And he's like 
I think uh, he's got a, a killer pedal board and he's able to do a lot of like droney, like ambient kind of things that fill up the sound even more. Cause I'm Nodi, Nodi McGee over here. And if he was Nodi <laughs> as well, it would be, it would just be like a cacophony, you know? Yeah. So I think it's cool. Cause we find, and then I was going to say one byproduct of writing with a band rather than just being like by my loans himself in my bedroom, writing overly detailed <laughs> Chris is like, I started thinking about music in terms of like, what can I do with my band? Going back to my rule about music where it's like, I only do things to serve the song, um, not like myself or like my ego or whatever. I started actually simplifying a lot of what I'm playing and I started actually leaving so much more space. And it's been, I think, a really awesome step for me because um you know, now there's more contrast and there's more room for it to breathe. I think with every subsequent release we do, like I just kind of lay back more and tone it down. Sure. I also have to admit, I think one, one <laughs> reason for that as well is that I'm tired of just focusing and concentrating live all the time. Like I want to have fun and rock out of it. So I'll just do like <laughs> these like, cool sections now and I'm like, yay, cool. I, can, like, I can smile. Because <laughs> before I was just like, <laughs> so you concentrated know, like, <laughs> gotta nail this i don't want to screw this up every photo i get back looks like i'm just eating a lemon like <laughs> <you know? laughs> so i think i think one of the byproducts of simplifying the overall songwriting is that i have a lot more fun too and i can be more in the moment and i was gonna say that extra space um lends itself to a lot more cool things happening in the bass department and yeah. the drums like Forrest, my drummer, I think he plays really melodically as well. And that's one of the things I love about him. So we're all kind of just trading off our spotlight sections. Like, you know, we have, when we write the songs, they'll break it down. There'll be a section called Dave's Moment. There'll be a song called Forrest Solo Moment. <laughs> so yeah. it's like we all kind of get to step in the spotlight a bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really fun. I, I'll purposely like just repeat something for longer than I'm comfortable with because then I'm like, okay, David, this is your chance to vary it up a bit. So you don't have to do the same thing as well. Like yeah. I want people's attention to shift to you here. Aside from playing with the band, you also do a lot of solo work playing guitar and singing. How do you approach that differently than playing with the band? Uh, definitely a lot scarier to just sit down with an acoustic and a microphone. Yeah. I, I have like, I started out writing acoustic music and, and writing lyrics because that's all I had in the hospital. And like, for me, it was such like a, it kind of, you know, the, the timbre of acoustic and like just the way it is, is it makes for a more intimate sound. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it kind of suited these like intimate things I was writing about. Uh, but I, I got to admit, I really hate playing acoustic and singing live. To me, it's just like, so nerve wracking. Like you can hear all this the dead notes and strings, yeah. and, you know, everyone's, and sometimes you play to crowds that are talking and stuff and it's just awkward. Um, I feel like that takes me out of the zone when I can hear the audience. Yeah. Um, for me, one of the cool things about playing in a loud rock band is I can just think about the music. I don't have to think about people who are bored or people yeah. <laughs> who are like screaming belligerently drunk. Like I don't hear them. Um, so, yeah, I guess the process for writing is generally the same, though. I start out with, like, just things I want to hear. I think my acoustic stuff ends up... Okay, I think part of the reason why my electric guitar stuff was so detailed at first was because I went... I started on acoustic, and mm -hmm. for me, it's, like, acoustic sounds really nice. Like, 
having all that detail. I'm not using any effects or anything. I'm just literally like finger picking. Yeah. Um, and then that I took that to electric guitar, but then I realized like, oh, you know, if I use effects, some of this detailed finger picking just gets lost mm-hmm. in the delay or it gets lost in yeah. the reverb or the overdrive. So I, you know, I have to find ways to convey the same thing, but without having to do all that detailed work. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a completely different ball game when you're just with your acoustic guitar and no effects and everybody's just looking right at you. Yeah. <laughs> Every mistake. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing is that not everybody hears all the same mistakes that you make. So that's the thing yeah. that I keep trying to tell myself when I do solo shows is I know every part, how it's supposed to be. Not everybody else does, but if there's clearly yeah. a wrong note, everybody's going to hear it and they're only going to have one person to blame. And that's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, cool. Was that it's, me or Dave? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it was weird. Uh, most, yeah. I've, I've heard all kinds of funny excuses. Some guy said like a fan was detuning his guitar or something like that. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, one of the, the cool things though, is I feel like, I used to be so afraid of mistakes and just because I come from a classical background where I feel like the listening environment for classical music, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but it's more sterile than let's say like a rock show environment or like even like an acoustic cafe fun gig environment. But the gigs that I'm used to playing as a classical pianist is just like you're in an echoey concert hall and everyone's too afraid to cough. Yeah, because you can hear so everyone's just like dead silent, and you can hear your like your heart pounding. You can hear your fear, like as you're like yeah. playing piano. I'm used to playing those kinds of gigs, and uh, you know, if I messed up back then, everyone heard it, and it was awkward because it's just quiet. <laughs> you're like trying to, you know, cut. you have a short, me- you have to have a short memory. Yeah, otherwise, it's like super buried, and oh my god, like I just fucked up that entire section. Um, so, but one thing that I think has helped me step away from that fear is actually playing in a band and, and playing these acoustic gigs where I do make mistakes. I'm human. Um, I really like being, I guess, like vulnerable about that because I feel like if you set yourself up to, to sh- make everyone believe that you're like um, impervious to error, that you're like just this robot. Everyone's gonna expect that at shows. Like if your whole brand is like, I am perfect. Yeah. I am a guitar deity. Like, you know, people are gonna focus on that. But for me, I consciously want people to know that for me, I'm not focused on like pure off technicality. I'm not focused on being a human machine. Like I am very human. I just would like to have have everyone have an emotive experience with music. Like I, if I convey a, a mood or a concept, like that's all I care about. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I mess up. And sometimes it's funny. Like sometimes I feel like the best shows I've had have been ones where I completely beefed it, but then I recovered and everyone was really supportive about it. Well, and I think what some people don't realize, the audience is on your side. If they like your music and they paid money to be there, the majority uh-huh. of them have done that because they like you and they want to see you succeed. They want to see you be great. And yeah, if, if you have some screw-ups and you recover, oh, cool. They're human, just like the rest of us. Yeah, I just did a live stream the other week where I was playing a lot of the new album songs for the first time. I'd never played them. And I was trying to not think about like, oh my God, like 5,000 people are going to see this. <laughs> but um, I, uh, I messed up on one of the last songs and it was DI guitar. So I, I played through a uh, line six sonic port and it's like 
which everyone's just hearing my DI dead note, like yeah. deep section. And I remember, you know, old me would have freaked out about it, but I thought it was kind of funny. And then I remember the comment section is like, she's human. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> it's a hard section. <laughs> yeah. We're in, an, we're in an age where everybody's comparing themselves to other people on social oh. media. Oh, yeah. There's some sense of competition in a lo- that a lot of people carry just within their own heads and hearts and don't realize it's not a zero-sum game. We're all musicians doing our thing. What's a word of encouragement you can say to somebody who's kind of going through that or needs to figure that side of things out? Well, it's ugh, I'm trying to figure out how heady and like weird and philosophical I want to get with this. Um, I think you can you can give whatever answer... Any answer you want is fine. Yeah. Yeah, so you're, you're correct. Like, I, part of the reason, the beautiful thing about guitar for me was is a way for me to escape that competitive, overly perfectionistic world. And, you know, I came in just wanting to be in a band and wanting to, like, you know, jump around on stage a bit instead of sitting in a pretty dress, you know? Like, yeah. so for me, that was, like, really liberating and fun. And then, you know, with, I do see the competitiveness on social media. I even see like those articles that are like, um, you know, this guitarist versus this guitarist or like, yeah. <laughs> um, you ever see those where there's like, like put it, pitting them together, like Pokemon or something like yeah. <laughs> it's, to me, it's so weird. Like this person's doing their own thing. They're doing something completely different than this other person. To me, it's no matter what, it's always apples to oranges. Cause art at the end of the day is subjective. Um, I mean, there's objective ways to qualify and rate it, but I think, you know, one of the cool things about art is that, like, you can't quantify everything about it. Like, some of it is kind of magical, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess one thing that I always keep in mind is I I feel like we can, not to sound too hippie-ish, but I do feel like we, we're allowed to create the industry we want to thrive and exist in so yeah. one of the things that the, the world that i envisioned for like um a healthy happy industry is where people don't feel like they need to view everyone else's competition like i think that if if every if all of your peers are doing well if all your peers are like killing it then you know it, it kind of elevates the ceiling for you as well you know mm-hmm. if everyone like um, pushing through and then it, it just feels a lot better to, to know that like there's a community there and we're not against each other like we're here to support each other I know this sounds like really like you know oh namaste like kumbaya <laughs> like, that's kind of just how I think about it is that yeah um, no I'm, my friends, I'm in 100% agreement yeah yeah like um, I'm trying to figure out how to to verbalize this feeling I have, but you know, I have seen it. I've, I've done things where I'm just like, you know, I was told like, this is, you shouldn't do this because of this and this and this. But then I ended up just being like, but like, that's not how I want this to work. Like I I would like it to be different. So I'm just going to adopt this different attitude. And then it ends up like working out. Yeah. So I think another thing is social media is, is really difficult because you're kind of having all people's success and everyone's lives shoved in your face. And the way I use social media is, is, um, I, I'm not advocating everyone do this, but for me, how I have a healthy relationship with it is that I just don't do the infinite scroll, like 
mm-hmm. thing. I, I'm actually rarely on other people's pages. Like I have a couple of close friends that I'm just like, I 100% love and back you so much. So I'm just going to go to your page and like check you out. But I, I'm not going to let the algorithm like spit things at me where I might get just like lost in the sauce, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I just kind of post and leave and then I check up on my friends. And for me, that's a way where I'm not feeling like I have to compare my life to other people's. And also everyone curates their social media to make it look like, you know, they're having the most badass life ever. Like I'm on a helicopter playing like a hundred <laughs> percent guitar. There's explosions in the background. You know, like <laughs> I don't know why I just described basically like Chris Angel's Instagram. But like, yeah. <laughs> Um, he's a, he's the yeah. world's foremost four neck guitar player. Yes. Oh, I mean that's Michelangelo Lavazio. It's like a I just described a hybrid of Chris Angel and Michelangelo Lavazio. Um, <laughs> we might have to write the article pitting them against each other. Oh no! Chris Angel versus Michael. <laughs> Who would win? <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, I don't know. I think everyone has to realize that like a lot of it is fake, but this is also, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, okay. Th- there was this whole thing a few months ago about people faking their playing and speeding things up or like doctoring it or not actually their guitar videos weren't actually like the real audio. Sure. I think old me would have been like, that's so fake. Like, you know, but then also I, I think um, if you view I don't know, the final product of of music as getting the ideal version of like what you hear in your head. I think there's nothing wrong with wanting to achieve that through means of like digital production. But I think the only place that it's problematic is when you tout it as real. Because then it's like Photoshopping yourself and telling everyone like, I worked out like, you know, and I got this sweet bod. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of like that. So I only have a problem with it when they're like trying to pass it as real. Well, I have no, I have no opinion either way. Cause I mean, I, I heard some murmurs about that sort of thing, but aren't they doing that if they're trying to make it seem like they're just doing it in their bedroom with an iPhone? I think they're make trying to make it seem like that, but also some of them were like selling lessons on how to shred really fast and stuff. So I think that's kind of, oh, like, okay, sure. I think that's only when it gets kind of weird, but yeah. I don't know at all who people are talking about when they're... I, I heard two people discussing the same thing. I was like, I have no idea who you're talking about. What do you mean? You haven't been paying attention? They're like, no, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I heard about it because I was on a clinic tour and everyone on the clinic tour was talking about it. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that people did that. <laughs> yeah, I have sped up songs after recording them for the purpose of, oh, this sounds cool, sped up. And I've also slowed songs down, yeah. but I'm not I'm not faking anything. Yeah. We literally put it on a tape machine and sped up the tape and it sounds cooler. That's so super. I think, I mean, going back to the whole Ableton thing that I'm very new at and terrible at still, but I think sometimes, you know, you can get really cool. Like there's artifacting that happens, but sometimes it sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Like if you slow something down or warp it. <laughs> Warp Audio is an insane function on Ableton. It's crazy. You can play kind of at 120 BPM and it'll put you at 120 BPM. Yeah. That's insane. It's, it is crazy. Technology is wild. And then like, it's so easy to like punch in on Ableton too. I really appreciate how um, intuitive it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun program. Yeah. Very robust. We're talking a little bit about social media People are always asking other artists who they deem successful about how they can 
expand their following or become successful, whether it be as a musician in the industry. This is completely aside from talent or being actually good at your instrument, which a lot of people don't take into consideration when they ask, how do I become successful at guitar? Practice, my guy. <laughs> yeah, and they, and they, don't, they don't consider the fact that being really good at guitar takes a lot of work. But if it were taking all the talent side away from things, social media is a place where people are absorbing information about who to listen to or what's quote unquote cool or you know even just discovering new artists so if you were starting fresh from day one what would be your approach to getting discovered i I honestly don't think i'd change a thing i I started instagram i think i'm probably the most i think instagram is my most like popular platform i actually started instagram because i was an art teacher before any of this music stuff happened and my students were like, what? You don't have an Instagram? Like these like 15 year old girls are just like, you need an Instagram. You can't be yeah. like, you know, <laughs> living in prehistoric times. So they made me an account. Nice. And then I was just like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm going to post some guitar videos for fun. And, you know, then it started just like kind of snowballing. And now I have what I have currently. And it's kind of my um, primary source of, uh, advertising things and promoting shows and showing yeah. everyone what I'm working on. I do view it as that. I view it as a way for me to like show people what I'm working on and also bookmark ideas. Like if I have a riff that I wrote, I'll like post me playing it. And then it kind of pressures me to finish that riff because everyone's going to like expect me to go somewhere with it. Um, I also use it for like pedal demos and, and stuff like that too. It's just like, it actually boosted my productivity a lot. I think just because mm. um there is that weird expectation for you to just constantly be releasing things. And I, I like it. I like having that fire under my ass because um, yeah, I don't know. It feels like empowering to like make a deadline and reach it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry, you were asking uh, social media if I would do anything different, like what, what, how I would treat it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Or I guess like, I like what you're saying where you just wouldn't do anything different. You, it sounds to me like your advice is just find your thing and do it and post yeah. on the internet. Yeah. And I've always like, I don't know if this is, I'm doing it consciously. I think I'm just like stubborn as hell where I just don't, I just post also for myself. Um, mm. I don't think about like, Oh, what do the people want to see? I know that sounds like selfish, but honestly, like, for me, authenticity is a really important thing about everything I do. Like, I think I would, I, the quickest way I lose passion for anything is if I start having to cater it to other people's expectations or taste. Yeah. I feel like it just dilutes everything. It deletes my vision and my like love for it. Uh, so uh, what I choose to post on social media is just quite frankly, anything I'm excited about. Um, there's been a few exceptions where, because I work with like, you know, other people and, uh, you know, it's part of my job. I have to do posts where I have to talk about something and I'm not necessarily like, you know, like excited about it, but it's part of my job to talk about it, like yeah. promoting album stuff. Like I don't enjoy posting ad mats for instance. Uh, yeah. but you know, there's exceptions to that, but I think anything else like guitar riffs or photos, it's just anything I'm generally genuinely really, uh, stoked about. Um, yeah. And I used to worry about what I said a lot. Like I, I get a lot of people asking me, like, how do you know what to say? How do you choose what to put up and how do you know, like what to caption it? 
And I used to be more worried about it. But then at the end of the day, I'm like, just like you can choose like what kind of industry you want to thrive in. You can also choose like your following, not to say that like, um, I, I, I don't want certain followers, but it's like, if I know people aren't going to get my weird humor, sometimes it's like, I shouldn't, I don't want to change myself for, for them. I just, you know, if they're not interested, they can just like not follow. But ultimately I just want to make like a big family of people who like support and understand each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. So it seems like the undercurrent of that second half of your social media thing is that you still at, at times just need to treat it like a business because this is your job. Mm-hmm. You, you are a musician as your career, which yeah. is amazing. It's fun that, that people get to do this right now. Yeah. And that is another thing that I don't think a lot of people think about at the front of their minds. Or, this is a business. Just like any other business in the world, there are certain times where you just kind of have to treat it that way. Yeah. You're playing at this festival. One of the requirements in the contract is that you post about you playing at this festival because they need to sell tickets. And yeah. that's why you're playing there and your fans should know. A hundred percent. And also like, you know, I've done collaborations with certain companies and stuff and it does get a little commercial at times, but I think there's nothing wrong with that. My role in collaboration, because I get offered some and some I do decline, as long as it genuinely relates to what I'm doing and that I, I actually like the product and I'm using it, like I'm using it in what I do, I'm super happy to talk about it. I think things get kind of hairy when, you know, you're having to advertise about a thing that you don't even like or use and totally. it just relates to the authenticity thing which i just keep on coming back to yeah. uh yeah I, I i recently did like some commercial stuff and um i actually quite liked their products and part of me i was scared because i was like oh man like i don't want to like look like i'm a huge sellout because i think past punk rock me would have been like that person's like you know just making a money grab but you know as an artist goes back to the whole like you know, you want to, the shaping the industry thing. Like, I think there's nothing wrong with people trying to make money and make a living yeah. <laughs> as long as they're not achieving it through means of deception, you know, like yeah. everyone at the end of the day, if you're offered a large sum of money to talk about something that you'd like 100% would actually use, then why not go get it? <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I don't think enough people say that sort of thing. We're all trying to make a living. And if somebody's offering some money to talk about it and I actually really dig the thing, then yeah. why wouldn't I do it? Yeah. And then the cool thing is I've done these these opportunities and, and during it, you are allowed to dictate what yeah. how you present yourself and what you say. It's not like I'm a cold husk of a human and I don't have like any say in like what goes into the final product. I remember I've definitely said I'm not gonna say that to some people. Yeah. <laughs> They wanted me to talk about some stuff. I'm like, uh, can I? And then I'll, I'll, what I'll do, I don't straight up be like, no, that's stupid. But I'll be like, what if I said this? So like, I'll change what I want to say. And usually they're cool with it because usually if you propose something, it's more authentic and it comes across less as like uh, an ad. It's more like through the artist's voice. So I think there's ways to compromise on that. And um, I'm still exploring that, but definitely you know it's it's been eye-opening and it's it's been cool i i don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to make money (laughs) yeah a lot of companies are realizing that more now or do you want me just to sit here and pander to my audience about this amplifier or -hmm. how about i just have a video of me with the amp in it and i'm playing through it and people think it sounds dope because the amp sounds dope 
yeah. and they'll just talk about it on their own. Yeah. Know? I think people are, are very intelligent. They can detect authenticity and yeah. genuine enthusiasm. Sometimes, yeah, like I get sent pedals and stuff and, and the ones I do end up playing and, and using a lot. Like I don't be, I don't talk about like, oh, here is my uh, Dario tuner. It's amazing because, you know, like I, I'm just like using it all the time and I like yeah. have it in the shot and, you know, I think that's a, that's a better way to like, you know, propose yeah. things to people. <laughs> well, speaking of selling products, you've got a <laughs> signature guitar now. Yeah. That is dope. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to boost your ego a little bit here. You yeah. have a signature Ibanez guitar. That's insane. That's so much fun. What does that feel like for you? What has that experience been like? Wow. Yeah. Okay. How does it feel? It feels crazy. I remember I, I got offered a signature before, but I actually, um, I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm really cool. I turned down an opportunity, but I, sure. I declined it because I just felt like it wasn't the right time. Um, yeah. And it wasn't like, I didn't, I was so new to electric guitar. I didn't even know what I wanted yet. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even sure. Like, you know, I feel like it's not good to develop a signature when you're not even like attuned to like what you like and like what you want to put out with the product. Cause yeah. with everything I do, I, I do hope to be, especially now that I have like a, um, a following and uh, people who, who are looking at every move I do, I feel like I have to be really deliberate about what I put out there. So yeah. at the time I was just like, uh, I'm not ready. I don't know what I want. And I don't, I think I have a lot more milestones to reach before I even deserve such a thing. So, um, and then last year or this year rolled around and I was like, okay, yeah, I think, I think I know what I really like now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have one guitar that I keep on grabbing. I just gravitate to it. Just like, music flows from it and I feel really inspired by it. So, um, I felt ready and here I am, I guess. Uh, I feel, I still feel undeserving. I, I really do. And that's not fishing for compliments. It's just, you know, I'm always like, wow, like, <laughs> I can't, cause it, I, you know, this, this is so new to me. I used to be an art teacher. Yeah. I, I never expected to do music or anything. That's incredible. Um, it, it's surreal. I, I, I feel so grateful. And if anything, having a signature, and having all these cool opportunities just like push me to work even harder so that maybe I feel like I deserve it one day. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's good. It's like, again, putting some a fire under my ass and making me feel like I have to back myself up now, which is a good thing. Um, in developing it, it was really fun. Um, again, I'm, I'm new to the world of electric guitar. Um, less new nowadays, but uh, Mike, the, the artist guy at Ivanez, He's awesome. He helped me a lot with choosing the specs. Like I had a lot of questions for him and yeah. we modeled it after this Talman that I got sent. Um, uh, it's like a sparkly pink one that I have uh, with tele pickups. But then I ended up playing a strat configuration one at Nam that I really love. So I decided that I think for my first stage guitar, I wanted to be like more of a strat style, but maybe we'll work on a tele one in the future. Nice. Um, yeah. Love, I, I, I used to play um, headless, like extended range guitars, but then I realized now, now after playing a bunch of different instruments, that I do prefer more like classic guitar shapes. Can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. Is extended range the new way to say seven string guitar? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> seven, eight, <laughs> like, nine. 
is that is that the same way that people don't like calling it smooth jazz and they now call it contemporary jazz because smooth jazz is a dirty word is seven string guitar a dirty word and now we call them extended range guitars i never realized it was a dirty word like it's like yeah extended range uh, seven string guitar nice all right okay yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, and then I realized that uh, also playing in a band, I don't really need that seven string because I don't want to step all over David's bass sure. frequencies. So yeah, I think I just gravitated towards more cl classic guitars. But one thing that drew me to Ibanez guitars was just the neck profiles. They're so sleek and fast. Like I, I yeah. started playing on um, I, that, the one I, the signature I have has the U shape, tapered U shape. Um, neck profile but i've played a couple like lizard neck ones and they're just really great for if you still want to like shred and have that agility on the fretboard yeah um, there's a lot of weight to the guitar which is nice because some of the, the the headless um extended range strandbergs i'm playing like they're awesome but they're just not as heavy you know yeah does it come set up for one of the open tunings or does it come standard tune come set up for facgbe the first open tuning i ever used nice yeah. i dig that i think people so, are gonna pissed <laughs> people are gonna pick it up and be like what is this yeah. <laughs> look you bought my signature guitar this is this is what i use yeah good luck figuring it out <laughs> yeah now you have to also buy my hot licks dvd series on how to play in this tuning yeah i should release the signature tuner so you can tune it back to standard <laughs> <laughs> i like that that's the didario collab oh yeah <laughs> Um, I haven't really, I feel like it came out at such a weird time. Like we're all indoors because of coronavirus, everyone's unemployed. So I feel really weird being like, buy my guitar. <laughs> you know, like sure. I don't, I want people to like, um, I don't know, save their money if they don't have it. I, I wish it didn't come out during this weird time, but you know, like I'm optimistic. I feel like even after this ends, maybe people will still want to buy it. And it's, it's great. Maybe people are stuck indoors and want a guitar to play and. Maybe it'll be my guitar. <laughs> yeah. I would encourage you to push it. If I were selling a product right now, I think it's fine. Yeah. Nobody could have predicted what was going to happen to the magnitude that it did. And yeah, you worked on this freaking dope instrument that you're super excited about. And if people have disposable income to be able to spend on that, or they've saved money for a guitar in general, I think it's fun to know that that option exists there. You were talking about how you're selling things. I saw one of the Ibanez commercials that you did where you're like in a lab. I thought that was really fun. I thought that was a fun way to showcase who you are, a fun way to showcase the instrument. It showed the fun of the instrument and the fun of you as a person and as a player. So uh, well done on that. That was cool. Thank you. That was an example of me being really deliberate and, and, and conscious of like what I put out there because I know my my demographic isn't, in general, I don't think it's going to be like people who want to hear me talk in a room about the stereo, like sterile about the specs and just sure. deliver it really shy. Like it's a lot of younger people um, who just want to, you know, have an instrument to play. I, I also, the price point I chose for it, I purposely chose like the middle tier because I didn't want to just alienate a bunch of younger people who don't have a lot of disposable income. What is the middle tier? Middle, blah, blah, blah. What is the middle tier? It's like, um, it's not a prestige, but it's not like the, um, I think it's the premium model. Um, what does that mean uh, money-wise? Like how much are those? Uh, about like, uh, I think with, with tax and everything, it's about 1.2 grand. Okay. Um, 
versus like two grand or like upwards of that. Um, so about so, the amount of a government stimulus check. Yeah. About, <laughs> <laughs> I swear I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. What if um, we price this exactly? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, and I remember seeing that commercial. I just wanted to, again, it's like sneaking in vegetables. I wanted to like package it up in like a fun, like uh, pseudoscience show, but then secretly be telling people about the specs and they don't even know they're being like, yeah, it's like really dry information. Well, that is awesome. I love that. I think there's a lot of wisdom that you spoke into all of the listeners today. And this is really fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Closing up though, speaking of gear and things and price, I have just a couple closing questions that I sometimes like to just get just your gut shot reaction on. Okay. okay. Got it. A piece of gear that everybody needs 20, 30 bucks ish or less. One piece of gear. Um, let's see. Uh, one of these keepos. Um, and I don't know why I've seen people like again seizing them, but they're so useful for songwriting because it's like a quick way to transpose a song key on the fly. Yeah. And if I'm thinking about singing something, sometimes certain things just sound better and a different key <laughs> like mm -hmm. so if i, I want to you know keep the same shapes that i'm playing but then just quickly transpose it on the fly um it's great and then it makes you know adapting my voice to it a lot better and these things the, the capos are cool because you can even partially capo so what you can do is you can raise the top strings by you know whatever interval you'd like and keep the lower strings there so you can just do all kinds of really creative things with the capo and i find them to be really inspiring <laughs> great I love that. Okay, second question. Piece of gear everybody needs couple hundred bucks ish or less. Okay. An EQ pedal. Nice. I like that answer. Explain yeah. yourself to those who I like that answer. Not everybody's gonna like that answer. <laughs> Tell people why they should like your answer. Okay. So people always want to invest in like a cool crazy pedal but yeah. i think you got to start with your clean tone first and you got to get that into like good shape because if you don't like your clean tone you're never gonna want to play guitar yeah <laughs> so you know sometimes if you have an amp that maybe isn't serving you that well an eq pedal can really really help you shape your tone to be yeah. a more desirable place i have the mxr 10 band eq which i like because it has a volume boost and you can control the level of gain that you're putting in as well yeah. and it's a really great tool to actually learn about eqing what i do is i play a thing and i move the faders up and down and i can actually hear where each note at play sits in, in terms of the frequencies yeah so it's, it's been an awesome educational tool it's been an awesome way for me to shape my tone when i'm at a venue and maybe it sounds like bassy or something yeah um, and it's been like, you know, sometimes I'll plug into an overdrive pedal and there's all the note definition disappears. So I'll like boost the higher frequencies to that. I can still hear clarity. Um, actually, there's a, there's a gain pedal I really like, the um, electronic audio experience longsword. It's a gain pedal, but it also has built-in EQ and that's even sicker. But yeah, I don't know. An EQ pedal is just a great way. If you don't like your tone, play around with it. You can really shape it to, to suit your needs. <laughs> Yes. All right. <laughs> Last question. Price is not an issue. Okay. There is no issue on price. What's one piece of gear everybody needs? 
it's it's hard because I feel like everyone wants something different. Uh, they uh, <laughs> my signature guitar. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was kind of teeing you up here. You know, this, oh, this is what I was trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think uh, having a guitar that really insp- inspires you to to write and to play like like an instrument that you legitimately and this is going to sound again really hippieish but you feel like is just an extension of you mm-hmm. whatever that is is if you're not a guitarist i don't know like if you're a pianist i think to to really actually like the instrument you're playing is really important it could be my secret guitar if you really like that no yeah. pressure uh, <laughs> but yeah i um, i'm currently on a quest to find the acoustic guitar of my dreams uh, I, I really would like an acoustic guitar that's been a bit uh, that has a bit of history to it. So maybe like a, a, a vintage guitar, yeah, um, one that's been like kind of banged up. But I don't know. I think I'll know it when I sit down and play with it. I know uh, I'll know. I like how it sounds. I just basically want it to rec- to record with. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I dig that. I like that. This has been wonderful. Yeah. Nice to meet you here over the internet. Yeah. Lovely to meet you. Yeah. Hopefully we'll be able to meet in person and play a little guitar together sometime. That'd be fun. I'd love that. You'd you'd smoke me. (laughs) No, we just do our things that we do. (laughs) Yeah. um, Hopefully I can, I can see you maybe at on a show or I don't know if Nam's going to happen. Probably not. (laughs) A Nam will happen at some point. Yes. Future. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> the most stressful place to meet people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will see you at one of these NAMs, and we'll roam around together, and we'll uh, we'll scope some gear. Perfect. All right. You take care. Bye. Bye. There you have it, Yvette Young. Another great example of find your thing, find your lane, hone it in, find your voice, and just boom, boom, boom. Keep honing it in. Performance after performance, song after song. Album after album, I love that. That's super cool to hear her story and hear about the way that she does her craft and how she makes her art. That's really cool. I'm going to scope her Ibanez. I've actually never owned an Ibanez in my life, believe it or not. But I'm going to go to my local store, check one of those out, try that open tuning. Hey, speaking of signature products, let me remind you that Archetype Corey Wong plug-in give you all those clean tone needs, desires, wants, dreams, Go check it out. There's a 14-day free trial. Scope it out. Tell me what you think. Peace.